welcome back to another episode of InCheck with Fintech. Today we have the absolute pleasure to be joined by Ron Goldie, VP of Payments for Fireblocks. Before joining Fireblocks, Goldie was CEO of First Digital, a company focusing on payment acceptance for stablecoins and CBDCs, which was acquired by Fireblocks. Prior to establishing First, Goldie co-founded and managed an algorithmic trading company, acted as VP in a company he took public on the London Stock Exchange and served as the head of IT investments for a private equity fund. Enjoy listening. I normally start, uh, Goldie, to say welcome to InCheck with FinTech. Thank you. Thank you, Roger, for having me. I always start with the guests introducing themselves uh, shortly, as well as the company that they represent. You obviously work for Fireblocks, it's their SVP of payments. Um, but would you mind a short introduction to yourself uh, and Fireblocks? Yeah, of course. So uh, maybe uh, I'll, I'll start with, with Fireblocks. Fireblocks is... I would say by now, probably the largest platform for any company who wants to develop applications and digital assets. And that spans anywhere from the largest banks in the world, like Bank of New York Mellon, uh, or the payment companies of the world, like WorldPay and Stripe and others, and the hedge funds, the trading desk, retail fintechs like Revolut or Robinhood. We basically make sure that any company that runs on Fireblocks has a secure infrastructure to, to safeguard their digital assets, has the ability to develop products like custody, tokenization, NFTs, payment flows, uh, smart contracts, securities that they want to tokenize, whatever they want to do with digital assets, we have the engines to do that while still being an enterprise-grade uh, product, I will say, which is what a lot of those organizations really care about, right? If, if you think of the last, I guess, five years as digital assets went more towards mainstream, it also went more towards these corporates uh, and even these large hedge funds and trading desks and, and retail fintechs that really want to make sure that uh, they have the right processes to handle these type of new assets, digital assets. So, so that's Fireblocks. I've been here for probably almost two years now. Uh, the company itself is five years. I was very lucky to be one of Fireblocks' first clients uh, as as uh, as I had a, a different company that was doing payments before that. And that company ended up being acquired by Fireblocks uh, about two years ago. So I've been in the company about two years. It's a 600 people company uh, with offices in Israel as its R&D center. Uh, but also in New York as its business HQ and Europe and Latin America and, and APAC, of course, uh, basically all over the place. Where, where there's digital asset users, there's probably a Fireblocks representative somewhere. But that's Fireblocks. Uh, and about myself, I, I, you know, I always say um, that I'm, first and foremost, I'm a geek, probably born a geek uh, 39 years ago. Um, and I went through this normal, normal path of geeks in Israel, which is essentially, you know, you, you're born a geek, you, you're stuck with a computer in front of your face 24 seven. So you get, uh, beat up, uh, all through, uh, you know, middle school and high school, but then you get recruited to intelligence if you're a geek in Israel. And then you spend several years with other geeks, which is great because no one hits each other, each other between geeks. So, right. So that's great. Uh, and then after being five years in intelligence, I, I started 
going into the startup industry in Israel, which is a very, I would say, evolved industry here. Um, and very fortunate to, to be part of several startups that were colossal failures because uh, all of them are great, obviously, learning experiences. Especially if you talk to American VC, right? You never say it was a colossal failure. You say it was an amazing learning experience. And then uh, after several learning experiences, I was very lucky to uh, to be in a in a company that was around the ad tech space that we later on took public. I was one of its, uh, I would say, early founders. Uh, and then I went into after taking a company public. I that was the first time I actually, you know came into very close contact with the financial markets. I fell in love with finance because I discovered that that money is doesn't flow the way I thought it flows in the world. And only when I got to the, I guess, to that place where you take companies public and you see how people invest their funds and what's the flow of that and how is that managed by brokers and all of these other middlemen that I never even knew exist before. Uh, I said, okay, I want to get into this world because this is way more convoluted than what I was told as, as just a normal human. And then after spending two years in a public company that was doing advertising, I said, okay, my next company is going to be around the public market somehow, but I don't want to have clients again ever. Uh, right? That was the that was the feeling I had back then, <laughs> being a public company uh, for several years. And we, I started along with a few friends an algorithmic trading company. Again, uh, I want to say we were very lucky and got to a point where we were acquired by a larger other trading firm. This is where we got to actually build some infrastructure around how to move money. And after that happened, after that company got acquired, it was around 2017. So it was very obvious to me that I'm going to stay in finance, but really where I should go is blockchain. And that is when I started the company that ended up getting acquired by Fireblocks, which brings me here today. And so I hope that that helps. Sorry, Goldie. Yeah, that's a, I mean, probably the introduction and with the most self-mockery I've had on this show. So thanks for that. I loved it. Um, so the company uh, you set up was first DAG, right? Or DAG that was then acquired by Fireblocks. Yeah, yeah, it was a short name for a first digital. Eventually, uh, we, we, by the way, we stuck with names Israelis. Uh, I won't get into it, but I once had a company called Profit. It's it's a different story, but in in any case, yes, it was first digital, uh, and we were doing. I would say, and when 2017 started, we were doing a lot of things. We were doing liquidity, and we were looking at wallets and custody uh, and payments as well. And we actually grew to about. I want to say something like 70 people within six months, we were profitable, which is, by the way, uh, like if you're an entrepreneur, you're listening to this right now, if you're profitable after six months, this is a red flag. Someone is cooking the books. <laughs> and we're not, no, I'm kidding. I mean, we weren't cooking the books, but it was really the tide of the crypto market of 2017 that took us all the way up. And it was obviously the, you know, the lack of it that uh, took us down. And from being a profitable 70 uh, people company, we became a company that's investing in, in people, let's say. Uh, and unfortunately, I had to let go of 63 people in one day, 90% uh, of the workforce. Uh, probably the saddest thing I've ever done as an entrepreneur. Uh, and just leave seven people. And we really said, okay, the thing we believe the most at 
is payments. And we want to focus on that. Uh, and we started building our thesis again and our product. And again, we were very lucky that Facebook around that time or Meta today were working on um, thinking only, by the way, on their Libra slash DM project. Uh, and we managed through, again, this is a long story, so I'll, I'll be very short. Uh, we managed to stop some executives and convince them that we are the company that can help them actually create that project. And we were eventually hired by DM back then to, to actually help them build some of that project, take part of that project. Of course, that project was, didn't see the light of day for a lot of reasons, but I actually think that when someone will write the history of crypto uh, in a few years, and, and you know, that's a very tough task in crypto because every hour is now a history. But when someone will write that history, they will definitely say that that project where Facebook and other partners have put more than a hundred million to work, mostly on regulation, that really changed the world because that really helped that, that helped a lot of the regulators around the world to get educated, to understand stable coins are not evil, payments through blockchain actually makes sense for cross-border payments. And I think that really paved the way to the stable coins that we have today, uh, whether those are right corporates or right governments. So proud to be part of that, but unfortunately, of course, it didn't see the light of day, but through our products and other, I guess, things we've done, we were still be able to to grow our company back and then to get acquired by, by Fireblocks eventually. Right. Sounds like you went through the classical thread of the mill of any entrepreneur with all those ups and downs. I went for the blockchain. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> um, but how, maybe how, so we uh, maximize what's your, what's your algo trading company, right? How do you go from maximize the first digital and then go from algo trading to blockchain? Was that something you were in touch with already when you were at maximize or how did that come about? Yeah, so when we were doing algo trading, we started looking at should we also be doing algo trading in crypto? Um, and, you know, I know you usually ask people what's their first experience with like blockchain related products. Um, to me, it was around trading as well. So in 2013, uh, and, and by the way, this is not a story on how I got rich from Bitcoin. Uh, That's definitely not my story. <laughs> it's in 2013. One of my friends, Yoni Asya, who is the CEO of eToro, uh, he told me about Bitcoin and he was already like deep into the rabbit hole. And he said, you know, you should look at this. It's really interesting from a tech perspective. You know, you're, you're a developer, you're a geek, you should, you'll love it. Great. Um, uh, I asked him, okay, but what is it? He said, go read about it and you can trade it on eToro. So obviously I didn't even read, read, read nothing about it. I just went to eToro and I bought it. Uh, and I was, uh, I was, I didn't give it the time of day. Unfortunately, uh, I made, I believe I made on that investment. You know, I put in like $300, amazing sum of money. I think I almost doubled it at some point and I was like, yeah, I won. I love this Bitcoin thing, but, but I never looked at it again until 2017. That's the reality. And when then when we started to check it again, maybe for trading, that is when we, you know, after being in algo trading and doing a lot of activities like settlement that take a day or two, um, when reading again about Bitcoin this time seriously, we were like, okay, this changes everything. Like we should 
change our entire company to just work on blockchain and we should just trade crypto because we'll never have to fight with a bank on settlement or or argue about the you know, like the, the numbers because reconciliation is transparent because it's on a ledger, it's on the blockchain. So that was when I was really moved by, I guess, that world. And that is when after, you know, we were again, very lucky that company got acquired. That is when I said, okay, the next thing has to be in blockchain because this cannot be ignored. The world's biggest, most influential gathering of the global money ecosystem, Money 2020 USA, is coming up in less than a month. With over 13,000 attendees from more than 3,000 companies, this is the only place where the entire money community, including banks, payments, tech, startups, retail, fintech, and more, come together to make the decisions that shape the industry. Grab your pass now by visiting us.money2020.com and use the code PCN250 to save an extra $250 on your ticket. Do you still feel that the kind of positive uh, opinion you had back then about uh, blockchain, crypto, not having to do the settlements and all that is still reality today? Or would you say that things have changed significantly since then? That is a very good question because there's nothing like that moment when you do your first Bitcoin transfer and you're like, I cannot believe how fast that was. And someone else, I just got money from someone in like, you know, a minute or something. So I, sometimes I do still have that, but, but I think in reality, uh, I don't want to say that I'm, you know, I'm smarter now because in, in crypto, you just feel dumber every day because you can't, uh, you know, really follow up with all the news and all the developments. But I feel like what humanity did is that, you know, Bitcoin was supposed to be, Bitcoin is really a proof of concept in my mind. Right. And, and Satoshi, you know, she wrote that white paper and created this entire ecosystem that we can, uh, you know, have something that it prevents double spending and is immutable and all the amazing attributes of, of, of blockchain and the Bitcoin network. And I think that's what it was supposed to be. And we sort of continued that over time and made it into like digital gold or something. Fine. Okay. And then Ethereum came and that was an amazing invention, really, still is. It's like this 24-7 machine, a new type of AWS that you can run code in a decentralized manner. But then humanity came and, and brought its greed into it. And ICOs were the, you know, were the thing in 2017, 2018 that probably really propelled that, you know, winter market that came afterwards. But I, I, if you're asking me, do I still believe in this? I definitely still believe in the technology. I definitely think that stable coins and the future of dig of money is in a digital form. And I think that is simply evolution. It's not because Goldie is investing time and money into this or Fireblocks or Coinbase or someone else. I think it's really because this is like an evolution of technology. The same way we had bills, then plastic, then now it's all in apps maybe uh or apple pay i think we'll have the blockchain as the uh the underlying layer for this new type of money do i believe people need to pay with cryptocurrencies in certain places probably not do i think bitcoin will be the payment system of the future look i don't think so but i'll, I'll just say i guess maybe to wrap up this point 
one of the uh, one of the very smart investors that in, that well probably not that smart because he invested in our company in 2017. He he told me that he really thinks Bitcoin will be used for payments, and I asked him when, and he said uh, after the Third World War, right? So he said all the governments basically need to go down before that happens. Okay, maybe, but anyway, to your question. I'm a still a big believer in the technology. I'm still a big believer in its value. I'm probably not a big believer. We should use those currencies for our day-to-day lives in terms of payments, but more towards utility. The growth for crypto payments is not necessarily in paying with cryptocurrency with blockchain, but rather with stable coins or CBDCs and whatnot. Yeah, and that's the reality of where you see the the real usage today. Like uh, I'd love to give you a, a few examples, maybe. I think that if you look, and I, I don't want to advocate specifically about Fireblock. I don't think this is, that's, you know, that's not the point here. If you look at how people are using um, payments, sorry, crypto and payments today, you know, you would say, hey, there's probably uh, tons of people paying with Bitcoin, but the reality there isn't. And the reality is that merchants, they are looking for, those type of solutions of, on how to get paid with crypto only when there's a hype cycle and everyone is talking about you know bitcoin and payments with bitcoin even if you talk to paypal right how many people are actually using paypal's crypto gateway to pay with bitcoin not a lot not a lot at all if you look at the usage by the way there's actually you know one of the more uh, seasoned players and, and, you know, veteran players in this market of payments with crypto is BitPay. If you go to the website and you see what is the main usage, according to their own statistics of people paying with crypto, the number one category is gift cards. Now, you know, I don't want to be a hater, but, but gift cards are not used for gifts. Gift cards are right. Gift cards are used for other things most of the time, and and people it's probably used for people who want to onboard to uh, you know forex websites or gaming websites in territories where they can, or or buy cannabis in places where the federal uh, you know uh, law still does not permit payments. Fine, I'm I'm not judging anyone. I'm just saying this is not used for day to day right now. Right on on the other side, if you go to countries that have thought about you know, stable coins and CBDCs, then you'll see that Brazil now has, I want to say four or five stable coin issuers for Brazil and Real. Mexico now has two. Um, Singapore has four stable coins for Singapore dollar, right? And those are actually, if you look at the volumes, those are bigger than the payments in Bitcoin or Ethereum because because that is real, that is being used by people who actually have no idea they're using that, right? So uh, you can go to, again, go to Brazil, you'll see, uh, you'll see like uh, new types of, of banks that allows you to, you know, to work with an app and the Brazilian real that their consumers have is actually a stable coin that that company issued, right? And, and people have no idea that that's their underlying asset, but that's what's great in it. That's what we're all probably striving for. Well, why is Brazil successful in that? I think you make this a very interesting point. Sorry to immediately jump to the next question, but why is Brazil successful in that compared to, let's say the Netherlands, 
for example. What does Brazil do well that companies are founded that can offer that without the consumer actually knowing what's going on? That doesn't matter for this question. But what, why is Brazil or I think Latin America in general is doing pretty well in this regard? So is Africa. Is yeah. it because they have, they don't have to reinvent the wheel? You see what I mean? I, yeah, I, I think so. Look, I, I don't want to get into politics or macroeconomics, but when when the Netherlands wants to change something in its payment laws, it needs to go through a lot of hoops, right? And there's a lot of lobbying groups out there uh, that might object to that, and they'll put certain pressure. Uh, in in Brazil, the you know the the people have been asking over the last decade for a change in their financial system. And it's almost like the government, by the way, the government in the last 10 years, if, if you, if you've noticed that, you know, they've launched more than a few years ago now, the, their payment system picks, which is like 24 seven payments uh, for free inside the country, which is amazing. You know, we don't have that in the US. Uh, we now have that in the UK and in the Netherlands, 72% of all payments go between banks, right? Through open banking, through companies like Ideal. That that's great. That wasn't in existence in Brazil. I don't. I'm not sure if you've ever discussed this in your podcast, but in Brazil, if you would buy something from Amazon, you would get this. Uh, you would get this receipt from Amazon, and you would go with that receipt to a 7-Eleven type store. You would pay cash, and then they will scan that receipt and tell Amazon the person paid. You can now send the product, right? Which is ridiculous, right? So, and, and I think the Brazilian government and the legislator over the past 10 years have been doing a lot. And with blockchain, they really saw this opportunity. And again, it's easier for them. They're not part of the European Union. They're not part of some sort of a consortium of companies where every decision affects one another. And there's like these large corporates who will object to this. So it's just easier to move forward, both in Latin America and in Africa right now. And that would actually put them at the at the forefront of this because, again, trying not to talk about politics, it, the the BRIC countries, right? So Brazil, Russia, India, China, have now launched or in the process of launching. I don't remember if it was launched or is launching this month, a new payment system, a twenty four seven payment system, right? For that, for those countries. Right. And those countries GDP, by the way, is actually bigger than the G7. Right. The other countries that, you know, we're part of like, I don't know, US, UK, Japan, some countries in Europe. Right. And so those countries, those BRIC countries that uh, it's easier for them to pass laws, their population is growing faster than the other world. Right. Uh, and they're actually investing a lot in education and and in technology. It's probably safe to say that they will be at the forefront of payments and I guess money movement uh, technology. If if you look at the next decade, and then also the countries you look at in terms of, I think you just gave me that answer, but I'm just gonna ask, ask it anyway. Um, what the future of digital payments looks like to you? It's looking at those countries because that's basically what the future will look like. That's what I think. Cause, uh, cause look, we can, again, going back to the context of business, me as Fireblocks, uh, as a company, I can go to the U S and I can scream as hard as I can, all the payment companies in the U S you have to try blockchain. 
But if they feel that their regulator is, you know, will will give them the the wrong eye, or you know, will be they'll be frowned upon, or even more sued, right? We've seen that as well. By using or doing something with that technology, they have no incentive to do this, right? So, so why would a company like Firebox, but not only, but definitely not all of its eggs in that basket, right? Interesting. Isn't that because who? So besides the regulatory kind of environment or infrastructure that these countries have, right? It's also regarding adoption. So you talk about these consumers; they don't know that they're actually using stable coins. You have the companies offering it. Who's really yeah. adopting this? Like, who are the key in in making that successful? Is it the businesses? Is it the individuals? Is it the institutions? Is it all of them? Yeah. So, I I really believe that. Fortunately or unfortunately, it starts with the regulators, because you know if you think of Brazil, who did this move? It's the Brazilian central bank that that gave them the permission, the framework, literally a framework on how to issue a stablecoin if you're a corporate. And then it was the corporates, and they have a lot to lose. Like you have the corporates who has like 40 million users, 60 million users, uh, consumers using your app. They have a lot to lose. They don't want to get sued by the Brazilian uh, Central Bank or the Brazilian SEC. And once the regulator said, go ahead and do it, then yes, obviously you need corporates with an open mind. You need corporates who understand that innovation is important. Uh, and and that is more of the DNA in those developing countries today than non-developing. Again, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you know we should all go right now uh, and focus everything we can on, I don't know, on Africa or India, uh, and we'll, as a business, uh, we'll, we'll be able to, I don't know, to, to have a, a great success over there. It, it's still obviously up and coming, but it's definitely something that we can't ignore. And I'm talking, by the way, about the entire blockchain, uh, crypto space. Like it, the fact that the U S right now is experiencing some challenges, let's call that, in the crypto front. Doesn't mean crypto is dying or it's in a, a I don't know, in, in a bad place. It, it just means that it's probably growing in other places. A little part of that process, I think, right? In terms of adoption and these legislation, uh, especially because I think an established institu institution such as the uh, Fed or uh, wh whichever central bank or institution it is, um, is being challenged basically by something else that they, well, I, I guess now it has changed, but a couple of years ago had no knowledge of whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a process as you said. Yeah, exactly. How, how so you say regulation where it will start, right? Where does Fireblocks fit in with that? Is it doing a lot of lobbying? Is it a lot of education? Is it all of the above? Where do you sit in that kind of regulatory development? Right. So we found ourselves in a very interesting spot because on the one hand, Firebox is a software company. It's like pure technology. We are not a custodian for people. Uh, we never hold your funds on your behalf. So we're unregulated and unlicensed. In theory, we could just have like you know, be that company that sells tech and never talks to a regulator. In reality, because we became definitely the largest company in the space in uh, in our in, in the realm of our technology, but one of the largest companies in the space of crypto, 
we, we have this responsibility really uh, to help educate and talk to regulators. So we have a team of more than 18 lawyers globally. Every, everywhere where we have an office, we'll have someone uh, who is an in-house uh, you know, legal team member who's talking to the regulator. Whether that's you know with MAS in Singapore or the again Brazilian Central Bank in Brazil or the UK government or you know uh, the FCA for their various projects or the Fed in the US, like we 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 put a lot of time and effort into this because you know it's no like I had to get educated when I got into this, so I'm sure a politician that needs to understand like thousand different topics on behalf of their voters. They, they probably need to get educated on this as well. So, so yes, we're putting a lot of efforts in doing that. Um, and we're trying to explain a lot of the times all the different intricacies between different technologies. It's not easy. Uh, and, you know, are we succeeding or failing? Depends on the country. Uh, I just had a call yesterday with someone super interesting from the U.S. who told me that he thinks the entire crypto industry is attacking this the wrong way. He said that instead of going head to head with the regulators on, you know, uh, on Twitter or on whatever social platform that LinkedIn, whatever that you, you keep seeing people uh, trying to butt heads with a regulator. Instead of that, we should use other tactics like uh, basically understanding that the current set of politicians, what they really matter is how are they helping their voters yet, but also how are they getting elected to another term and try to target around that area specifically instead of trying to prove them wrong all the time, because that just gives more power uh, to their base who is objecting this better. But again, this is like, uh, I guess, uh, policy and lobbying 101. But to your answer, to your question, sorry, we do put a lot of efforts into this and we think it's really important because we've already seen that without this, we'll probably won't have a business because if the regulators won't allow an exchange to be an exchange, how will they be our client for our technology? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's in your favor uh, if you manage to uh, get the advocates, if you will, on your side. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Goldie, thanks very much. Um, that was uh, very insightful. Um, I took away from this that I need to look at Brazil more if I want to know the future digital payments um, and that regulation is at the core of this. So uh, yeah, thanks for being on the show uh, and sharing your insights. Um, and uh, yeah, good luck with uh, making a blockchain the future of payments. Thank you. Thank you. It's coming with us so about us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Goldie. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of In Check with Fintech. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the like button and leave us a comment below. We'll be having more industry leaders soon, so don't forget to subscribe as well in order to keep updated with the latest episodes of our podcast.